weekly podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you've decided to join us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Hello. Hey, let's go ahead and get this service started. Uh, This is an unusual. We're generally in the sanctuary, so please be comfortable here. There was a problem with the carpet. It turned out to be the wrong color, so we're glad that everybody was here to help, but we're going to need your help again when the proper carpet shows up. So, but let's go ahead and bow our heads and start with a word of prayer. Precious Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be able to be in your house today. Heavenly Father, we pray for our little town that you would watch over it and guide the, the authorities and how they work with this process and get us back to normal. Father, we're grateful that we can be here and celebrate and worship you. We pray, Heavenly Father, you'd be with those who cannot be here today. We pray, Father, that you'd watch over them. Father, we pray for you'd be with Bob with the message as he brings it. And we pray, Father, for all those who cannot be here today. Thank you for the blessings of life and family. Thank you, Father, for the gift of life that we have through your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. God gives us an opportunity each week to meet with him and to reflect on our lives through the act of communion. Communion has many aspects. It is a time to renew and strengthen our, spirit, our relationship with God. It is a time to receive spiritual nourishment, a time to appreciate the great love that God has for us. He loved us enough to send his only son to this world, and his son loved us enough to suffer and to take our sins upon him. Communion also permits us to look forward to eternal salvation. Through communion, we attest to the world that eternal life cannot be separated from Christ's death on the cross. Last but not least, communion is a great comfort. Through all the craziness that this world displays, and we have seen that firsthand the past weeks, that we know our loving Father is in control. For these reasons and so many more, we should cherish the opportunity to be able to meet around the Lord's table. Jeremiah 17, 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful to be able to come around your table. And we do have the confidence that what Jesus Christ did on that cross saves us from eternal damnation. Father, we just pray that you be with each and every one of us as we take the bread and the cup and are reminded of that great gift that you've given us. It's in his holy and precious name I pray. Amen. Well, this is cozy, isn't it? Yeah. It's a nice, it's a, it's a change. Yeah, maybe next week we'll meet in the parking lot. See what we can do. <laughs> Hey, uh, we had planned to be in the auditorium this week, and everybody came and worked hard and, uh, early last week. We were ready to lay the carpet on Tuesday, and the carpet was the wrong carpet. So that's why we're in here. We got the new carpet. Next week, it'll be laid down, and we'll be, we'll be back in the auditorium. It ought to, both the balcony and the downstairs will be done uh, next week. So sorry about that, but appreciate everybody who came out and helped and worked. There were a lot of people who came out. Appreciate that. Uh, 
Also want to say we appreciate everybody who's been coming in throughout this week to help pass out water and, and food and supplies. We're passing out supplies till this Tuesday, and then after that, just water. We have some supplies over here. We have lots of water. We have water coming in at 2 o'clock. We have all the water we need. So if you need water, you can take three or four or five, as many cases as you want, and come back throughout this week and next week. We have water coming in, and it's donated to us. So uh, we have all that water. We really appreciate it. If you would like to come in and help at all, as people come in and get the water and talk to people, you're welcome to do that. Uh, just let me know if you would like to come in and help. We, uh, we have people coming from all over the United States bringing us stuff, and we have a, a disaster fund online, and we have people giving from all over the United States to help. We had a, just to show you how interesting it is, we had a family come in yesterday from Florida. They came in from Florida to bring us about a pallet of water and some supplies for the table. And that's all, they, they did not come up for family, they just came up to deliver this for us. And there are people all over the United States praying for us, and it's just uh, amazing. So it's barely been hectic here uh, the last couple weeks, but it's wonderful to see this outpouring of love and people willing to help. This Thursday night, there will be a prayer circle uh, at the football field at 5 o'clock, if you'd like to uh, join in that. Uh, not next Tuesday, I'm sorry, March 7th, Tuesday night. I got that wrong. So Tuesday, March 7th. Uh, mark that in your calendars if you'd like to be up there for that. Uh, last week there was a prayer circle up there with about 50 in attendance. So that, that was great. Uh, 5 o'clock, yeah, 5 p.m. Tuesday, March 7th. Uh, just look over the announcements, if you would, a number of things happening here in the near future. Uh, please look at the prayer list, if you would, and remember Stephanie and Rick Peck and family upon the death of Stephanie's mother. Uh, we had her in our prayers last week. She had rushed to the hospital, a number of things going on, and she did not make it. So please keep that family in your prayers. Uh, also, uh, as you look through the prayer list, remember all these folks, if you would. But Paige Falk, the, a young girl, had her surgery this last week in Cleveland and did very well. She'll be up there for a while, but she's doing very well. So please remember to keep Paige, uh, that be Perry's daughter, in your prayers if you would. Let's take a moment and go to God in silent prayer. Amen. You know, the one thing about meeting in here is going to make you appreciate those soft pews, right, when you get back in there. Today we're going to talk about Solomon. Uh, most of you know who Solomon was. Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. Uh, he followed his father David as king of Israel. And under Solomon, Israel grew. Uh, they grew in landmass. They grew in world rec recognition. They grew in, in wealth. But they did not grow in faith. They did not grow in obedience. Now God blessed Solomon. He blessed him with wisdom. He blessed him with wealth. Uh, it is estimated that he was worth about $4 trillion in today's money. Now, that's a lot of money. The richest man in the world today is a man named Be uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, founder of Amazon, and he is worth about uh, $209 billion. But Solomon was worth $4 trillion, 20 times as much as Jeff Bezos. So he was a rich man. God had blessed him. In uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10, Solomon says... I denied myself nothing. I refused my heart no pleasure. God had blessed him with a lot of things on earth that were pleasurable 
God has blessed us with a lot of things that are enjoyable. Who doesn't enjoy a picture of a cute baby, huh? You're going to say those oohs and ahs when you... Who doesn't enjoy a smile of a baby? Who doesn't enjoy a delicious dessert? <laughs> now, we have these. We're going to pass them out now. No. <laughs> Don't you wish that was true, huh? That, yeah. Man, baby, no cake. Not baby's cake. <laughs> oh, by the way, that's peanut butter chocolate. It's about the best you can get. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't enjoy a day at the beach? Yeah, we all enjoy that. God has blessed us with a lot of things that are enjoyable. Who doesn't enjoy a puppy? Yeah, it's a pretty cute dog, huh? God has given us a lot of things that bring joy and, and pleasure into our lives. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying things. They are a gift from God. It's when we misuse God's gifts, when we run into trouble. A man cheats on his wife. He thinks about the pleasure of the moment and... Uh, and then he ends up getting a divorce, and he, and he loses his home. He loses his family. He loses a portion of his paycheck because he let simply pleasure be his guide. Uh, a man, uh, now cheating on your spouse, of course, that's a sin. There are a lot of pleasurable things we can do that are not sins. They are gifts from God. But if we misuse them, we still get in trouble. A young man staying out with his friends at night. They just have fun. They're, they're young. They stay up late. Uh, they don't go to bars. They don't go to strip joints. They, they go to each other's house. They watch television. They play video games. They play cards. And they're up to 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and, and this young guy, uh, he's doing this a number of nights during the week. And he ends up sleeping in in the morning. And he ends up being late for work. And his boss talks to him about that. But... He, he, he just loves being with his friends at night. He enjoys it so much, he ends up sleeping in one more time, and he gets fired. You see, even success, even success can cause us problems. It, it, it's hard to believe that might be true, but, but it's true. Achieving and succeeding and being great at something, they can even give us trouble in life. Now, the Bible doesn't condemn success at all. The Bible doesn't condemn hard work. Rather, it encourages it. And we find many people who were successful in the Bible and in what they did. But success, like almost any good thing that we have in life, can be misused. There can be another side to it. Sometimes success is a good thing. And that good thing can cause you to drift from the best things. Sometimes success, a good thing can cause you to drift from that which is most important. And drifting doesn't happen in a day or a week or a month. It can happen over a long period of time. It happens when you don't see your kids as much as you'd like to see the kids because of your business and you're working for them and, and you want to see them, but you're gone a lot. And pretty soon your schedule's so busy that you just kind of drift away from them. It happens in marriages. You're traveling, you're attending meetings, there are meals that you miss, you're working hard to provide for your family, to make things better for your family, and pretty soon you just drift away from the family you're trying to make things better for. And it happens on a relationship with God. You have a connection with God, you love God, you pray, you read your Bible, but over a period of time you discover you're not reading your Bible as much as you used to. You're not praying like you used to pray. You're missing church more often. And at first it really bothers you. And now it doesn't bother you so much. You know you're going to get back, but then again, you don't think so much about getting back and doing those things. And 
finally, you begin to wonder if you believe in God or not. It's a slow drifting away. And that's what happened to Solomon. Solomon started out uh, with a heart devoted to God like his father's. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statues of his father David. Now remember what the Bible says about David. David was a man after God's own heart. So that's how Solomon started out also, a man after God's own heart. But then we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 23, we read this prayer that Solomon has when he dedicated the temple. David, uh, because of all the wars he had been in, he was not allowed to dedicate or build the temple. So Solomon does, and he has this long prayer at the end. And at the very beginning, he says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or earth below. You keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue, listen, he says, wholeheartedly to serve you. So Solomon recognizes there's only one God. He recognizes this God loves uh, his people. Now, this is one of the longest prayers in the Bible, so we're not going to read the whole thing. So, so I want to skip to the end here, uh, verses 59 and 60. Solomon prays, and may these words of mine, which I have prayed before you, Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of the people of Israel according to each day's need. Now notice this, notice this verse here. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. When Solomon began to serve as king, he was obeying God. And his plan was to take the message of God to all the peoples of the earth. And God put him in a position to do just that. To tell the nations about the God of Israel to save the world. But instead of focusing on godly success, he focused on worldly success. He focused on what he calls life under the sun. Time and time again in the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see Solomon use this phrase, under the sun. And under the sun refers to living here in this world simply under the sun. Not taking into consideration what God would have us to do. Simply living for the here and now under the sun. And that's how he lived most of his life as the king. Simply under the sun for what he could get here and now. He let worldly success consume him. And according to the world standards, Solomon was a great success. The Bible says the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, and when she saw what she, he, he had, she was overwhelmed. First Kings chapter 10, she says, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. Solomon had it made it according to the world standards. He was powerful. The Bible tells us he had an army and a navy like none other in the world at that time. During his reign, the borders of Israel were extended. He, he had this throne, the Bible tells us, was inlaid with ivory, and then it was overlaid with gold. And the Bible says nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. He was popular. All the kings of the earth, the people, wanted to come and hear him teach. He was rich. Every year he received 25 tons of gold simply from the people of Israel. That's not accounting all the money that came into the treasury from the other nations. The Bible says that he had more wealth, 
get this, than all the other kings on earth combined. Uh, He had a fleet of merchant ships that would go out and return every three years with riches from all these foreign countries. The Bible says he made silver in Israel as common as stones. He had achieved success according to the world standards. But look what he said. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 17. I hated life. Think of all that he had. He says, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. All the riches he had worked for, all the great buildings that he had built, all the great alliances he had formed, all the great political deals that he had made. His personal collection of 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. All the work that he had done under the sun was meaningless to him. In fact, he said he hated his life. His successes, his achievements, his work was a chasing after the wind, he said. He goes on and says, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. So he says this too is meaningless. In terms of worldly success, Solomon accomplished more than any person who ever lived. Uh, But his success was meaningless to him because everything he had, you see, was short-lived. Because he was going to die, and his money, and his kingdom, and his palace, and his home, and the gardens, everything he had worked so hard to get would be taken from him and given to someone else. Maybe someone who would not even care for it. So Solomon was right. To be consumed by worldly success is something that does not last. And in the end, that's not what's most important. We fail when we focus on the wrong thing. Matt Emmons, uh, let me see if I, okay, Matt Emmons there uh, was USA Olympic shooting team in 2004 Athens games. He, he held a World Cup in 2002-2004, and he was on the pace to win the gold medal there in uh, in Athens. It was the last round of the competition. He had the highest score of all the shooters. Uh, he, all he had to do in his last shot was get an average score, and he would win the gold medal. He fired a shot where it hit the target. It should have been scored at an 8.8. would have been more than enough to give him a gold medal. But when the judges awarded him the score, they awarded him a 0.0, causing him to end up in eighth place without any medals. Now what happened? Well, he hit the wrong target. (laughs) He was in line two and he shot the target in line three. He aimed at the wrong target. When you are consumed with success simply under the sun, when you are consumed with the way of the world and what the world calls success, you might very well hit the target like Solomon. Um, but you hit the wrong target. I want to succeed, and you want to succeed, but we should want to succeed at that which is most important in life. 
Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. He also said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So listen, success at work and making money and climbing the ladder, those are not bad goals, but they are bad gods. When we let success under the sun, when we let that which the world calls success consume us like Solomon did, we drift from that which is most important. We drift away from God. We, we tend to drift away from our family. It's a slow process. Sometimes we don't even know what's happening. Kind of like Solomon. We let good things now become the most important things. We've let the good things in life take priority over the best things in life. And when that happens, even like Solomon, life becomes meaningless. Jesus said, what shall profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his soul? Really successful people are good eliminators. It's not just that they eliminate bad things from their lives. They eliminate good things from their lives so they can focus on the most important things. They eliminate some good things from their lives so they can uh, focus, give their time and attention to the best things. Suppose up front here I had a metal beam that went from this side of the gym to that side of the gym, 18 inches wide, 18 inches high. And I said to everyone this morning, if you get on that beam and you walk from here to there, I'll give you $1,000. Well, you know me, that wouldn't happen. But if, if, somehow, <laughs> if somehow I came up with that money and I had the 10 $100 bills at the end of the beam, I bet you'd be glad to walk across that 18-inch by 18-inch beam, don't you think, for $1,000? It won't take any time, not any effort. And if you do fall, you're probably not going to get hurt. But suppose I take that metal beam and I put it here. Uh, let's see if I can, here. On the Veer Towers in Las Vegas. Uh, the Veer Towers, not the tallest buildings in the world, not even close. They're only 480 foot tall, that's all. 37 stories high. The kind of weird buildings, though, they, they lean away from each other at a five degree angle. It's kind of strange. So just suppose on the top of these buildings, let's see, I put this beam. The same beam, because it's about the same distance at the top of those buildings as the distance from one side of our gym to the other. And I offer you $1,000 to walk across that 18-inch beam from one side to the other. How many of you would take that deal? Uh, probably none of you. You know, when you get up that high and you look down, um, it's a little windy up there. <laughs> those buildings move just a little bit. So you get up there, and I offer you $1,000, none of you are going to tell hey, but what if I offered you a million dollars? What if I offered you $2 million? Would you walk across that beam? There's one or two nuts here that probably would. I understand that. But most of you would not, because you can't spend a million dollars if you've splattered on the ground, right? It's useless to you. So your life is more important to you than that money. But suppose I said your two-year-old daughter's on the other side of that beam. And the only way to save your two-year-old daughter is to walk across that beam. No one else can help her. No one else can save her. You're the only one. Or make that your wife. Or make that your husband. Make that somebody very important in your life. The only way they could possibly be saved is for you to walk across that beam 
and save them. Now, what'd you do with that? Would you give your life for your two-year-old daughter? You know, most of you would. Even though you think, I, I'm not going to make it, you'd make that effort because that's how important that family member is. So the next time you need to make a very important decision, uh, ask yourself the question, would you walk across the beam for that? Would you walk across the beam if God asked you to do that up here? Would you walk? If God said walk across, would you? Now, I'm not going to argue over whether God would ask you to do such a thing. But if he did, would you walk across that beam? Is doing God's will that important to you? I might have told you about my friend. Uh, I can't remember. His, his name is Bill Cooper. Uh, Bill, uh, Bill worked with me at the Elkhorn Valley and also uh, at the Northeast Ohio Bible College. I'm a trustee. He was a trustee for years. Uh, Bill worked at Weirton Steel in the uh, 70s. He was high up there in the company. And one day, uh, the president of the company asked him to come to his office in Pittsburgh. Bill says he remember going up the elevator into his office, big glass window. You could look out and see all of Pittsburgh there, beautiful view. And Bill at that time was offered... Uh, the job to become vice president of Weirton Steel. And Bill said, well, am I going to have to be gone throughout the week? And the president said, you're going to have to be gone maybe three or four days throughout the week. Am I going to have to be gone on weekends? And the president said, yeah, you're probably going to be gone uh, two, three weekends uh, a month. Uh, and he said, but remember, Bill, your salary is going way up. And remember, you're going to get six weeks of vacation, so you can take your family anywhere you want. You're going to have the money to do that. And Bill said to the president, my kids are young and very impressionable. This would be a tremendous burden on my wife. And he said, I'm an elder at my church, and I made a commitment to be there and lead. And the president said, Bill, are you saying no to the job of vice president? And Bill said, yes, I'm saying no. And, and Bill said the president turned his chair and he looked out the window for, it seemed like eternity. And then he turned back and he said tears were just rolling down his eyes. And he said, Bill, I wish I loved my church as much as you love your church. I wish I loved my family as much as you love your family. So Bill kept the same job. He remained an elder at that church he continued to serve as a trustee at Elkhorn Valley Christian Service Camp. And when he retired in the 1990s, he began to preach. He then served on the board at Northeast Ohio Bible College with me and, and others. And, and his boy went to Bible College and became a preacher. So what I want you to see is this. Bill eliminated that which was good. Being vice president of that company, bringing that money home, all the popularity and prestige, he eliminated that which was good to do that which was best. Unlike Solomon, you see, Bill's life was then full of meaning. So if you want your life to be full of meaning, do what God asks you to do. It's always wonderful to meet together. And maybe there's someone here this morning who's not a Christian. And you need to make that decision. You need to do what God has asked you to do. The Bible says to become a Christian, it takes faith. That faith leads us to obedience, repentance of our sins. And uh, we confess him. And then we're baptized into him to be born again. We're going to sing an invitation hymn.
And as we sing that hymn, if there's somebody who needs to make that decision, if you walk forward today, either way, uh, we'll take your confession. And even though we're not in the auditorium, our baptistry's ready, and we can take you over there and baptize you into Christ Jesus today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to join us in person, we meet on Sundays at 8.45 and 11 a.m. and on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Have a great week.